Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. John chapter 10 and verse 10. We've been preaching, uh, as I said, this year along this line, and uh, anytime I've endeavored to go a bit of a different direction, uh, it's, it, hasn't, it hasn't quite been uh, what God had wanted because he wants us uh, getting into this understanding of the flow of abundance, uh, greater and greater. And so we're going to start there tonight. Uh, how many of you know that when... Uh, <clears throat> Coming into this year, the year 2016, and God said it's to be a year of abundance. How many of you know that that doesn't mean that abundance is only flowing this year? He's talking about there's going to be a window of revelation regarding abundance. And uh, so we're, if I could say this, we're stepping through that window. We're receiving of that revelation because uh, abundance isn't something that you receive only this year. And then at December 31st, it stops. (laughs) he's really talking about he's wanting us to become skillful with the flow of abundance because 2017, 2018, 2019, all the subsequent years are going to call for this flow of abundance. And so as we focus on, uh, as we have focused on becoming skillful in what belongs to us in abundance and how to cooperate with that abundance, then we can know this, that there's a flow that we can, uh, we can access in a greater way in the coming years. How many of you know, pastor was talking this morning about, about revival and he was bringing out some of, of, of how the political system and the political setup of our nation, the political temperature of our nation, uh, has a, has a part to play in this revival. But how many of you know that this revival that he's referring to, it also needs funding. I said, it needs funding. Yeah. Uh, with dad Hagen's ministry, Dad Hagen brought to light and brought revelation to this generation about our authority. And pastor was leading us in praying regarding our nation using our authority, telling Satan to take his hands off this nation politically, socially, economically, take his hand off the nation. Uh, But how many of you know that not only do we have to have light of our authority for uh, for this revival in this era... You know, the devil's going to try to stop this revival. And we're going to have to use our authority to make sure things don't get aborted. Amen. But also one way that uh, that, uh, a revival can be hindered, if I could say this, is through lack of funding. Through lack of funding. And so God is giving us the revelation of abundance that belongs to the church. And I'm talking about not just, I'm not just talking about the American idea of abundance, but heaven's definition of abundance. I said, what heaven calls abundance, not what America calls abundance, but what heaven calls abundance. And so God's been talking to us about it and showing us some of these things. And, uh, so we're going to dive into this tonight. If we could, how many of you know, I could say this, that, you know, it's hard to imagine that when I'm on the road, that people would ever get up and walk out while I'm preaching, you know, surely they want to hear me. 
But there are times that I have seen people, you know, when I'm traveling at different places and people will get up and walk out while I'm preaching. And most of the time that happens when I'm teaching on prosperity. It makes religious devils so mad to think about, uh, to, to, to reach further financially. It makes them so mad. So my goal is this year and every year here on to make every religious devil mad regarding finances. Just royally irk them. I tell you what, you, you, you think it's not the, the truth, but it's the truth. There are people that get mad when you talk about prosperity that belongs to us. I'm talking about God's idea of what prosperity looks like. And uh, some people, they just go on tilt when you start talking about it. So we're here to untilt, you know, the body of Christ on these things. And uh, we're learning more and more. Amen. You know, when my husband went home to be with the Lord, I told God, I said, you know, uh, my husband took great care of me in the sense of he, he made sure that things were in place for his family and he led us in faith. You know, that's what really, uh, the head of the home is to do. It's not getting everything your way. It's, it's being the head at leading your family into the flow of faith and into the spirit of faith and in receiving the things that, that family needs by faith. How many of you know the husbands aren't the provider? God's the provider of that family. But the husband is the one that leads in faith in the, in faith in the provider. So when my husband went home to be with the Lord, uh, God let me know. And I reminded God, I said, God, you said you'd be the husband to the widow. And he took good care of me. And I expect that you won't be outdone now, will you? (laughs) And I tell you, God has showed himself so faithful to take care. I don't care what you're going through. Abundance belongs to you. I don't care if you're a single mom. Abundance belongs to you. Abundance just isn't yours because there's two incomes into the household. Abundance is yours because of who you are in Christ and who you belong to and what he's provided for you. Amen. Abundance belongs to you. You were born into it at the new birth. Amen. So here in John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says this, that Jesus is standing up. Now you have to understand, uh, under the old covenant, they did not have the revelation about the devil that we have under the new covenant. And so they, they would attribute so many things that happened that were bad even to God. Remember how Job, when things happened to him, he said that God giveth and God taketh away. You know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, he, he got it all confused because they didn't have the same revelation. But Jesus came and he exposed how the kingdom of darkness worked. He exposed the difference between what God does and what the devil does. And so in verse 10, we see him talking up and proclaiming a sermon that really had not been heard before. And he's bringing light to uh, where good and where bad comes from. And he says in verse 10, he said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's letting them know anything that steals, kills, and destroys, God didn't have a part of. How many of you know God's not taking anything away from anybody to teach him something? Yeah. Uh, Anything... That steals, kills, or destroys. Jesus is telling you where it came from. The enemy. So he said, the thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I love what I heard. We were at Pastor at Sister Amber's uh, church. Her dad is a pastor in, in Virginia. And one of the things he said, if it ain't good, it ain't God. And just in a, in a nutshell, if it's not good, it's not God. God didn't have anything to do with anything that wasn't good. Amen. 
So this is what Jesus is saying. The thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But look at the next few words, I am come. How many of you know the thief comes, but look, there's someone else that's come. Amen. Amen. And you can be so occupied with a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus is giving you the right to be occupied with something else. But I've come. I've come that you, look at this, that you might, look at the next word, have. That you might have. God wants you having. Amen. The devil came that you might have not, but Jesus came that you might have. Amen. You, you know, I think there's a TV show that I've never seen. I've just seen it advertised the haves and the have-nots. Well, that phrase has been around for generations. The haves and the have-nots. Well, we're the haves. I said, we're the haves. The body of Christ is supposed to be having more than anybody in the world has. The body of Christ should be having more. Why? Jesus said, I've come that you might have. Amen. So you're not going to offend God by having some things. I said, you're not going to offend God by having some things. In fact, we don't represent him right when we don't have the things that we need. So Jesus says, I've come that you might have, have what? Have life. Well, you know, you've got human life. You've got natural life. So he didn't come to give you that. He came to give you the life of God, eternal life, divine life. So he's telling you, I've come that you might have the exact same life that sustains God's existence. The same thing that upholds him, compels him, keeps him going. The life of God, divine life, eternal life. He says, I've come that you might have this flow. Wow. So I've come that you might have life. Now, if you're born again tonight, you have this that he's talked about. This portion of that verse is fulfilled at the new birth. Once you receive Jesus as your savior, you not only just have eternal life to where you will go on forever. You have divine life. You have the very life of God and it's to be lived on this earth. Not just something lived when you get to heaven. It's to be lived on this earth and it's to be evident that you're in this flow of life. So this passage, you know, when you got born again, it only took a fraction of a moment for you to say, Jesus, I receive you as my savior. When you said that, the life of God came on the inside of you, the divine life, that it came, and now everything contained with that life is yours. So that only took a moment to do. That only took a moment to receive. That only took a moment for the Holy Ghost to work in you, imparting that divine life is yours. It's in your spirit, you know? So he says, I've come that you might have life. Now notice the next phrase, and... You're not done. Now that you've got eternal life, you're not done. And it's not done of why he came. I've come that you might have life and that you might have have it more abundantly. So he's letting us see that this, uh, this life can flow in measures. Uh, it can be evident in every arena. Uh, it's to be evident in every arena of our lives. You know, when you get born again, somebody ought to be able to tell it. It ought to show up somehow, somewhere, some way in your home, in your marriage, in your mind, in the way you think, in the way you speak, in your health, in your finances, in your giving, what you participate in. This life should, it should show up in every arena of your life. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have the flow of it more abundantly. So the life that's on the inside of you can flow more or less. It's up to you. And he says, I want it to flow abundantly. That's what I've come, that you might have an abundance of this life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, So, 
go with me if you would. Let's, let's flip over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3. How many of you know when he's talking about that you might have this life more abundantly? And Of course, we're talking about what heaven calls abundance. So Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the King James says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Notice this, he has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Norley translation, N-O-R-L-I-E, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with everything that heaven itself enjoys. So everything that heaven is enjoying, that's what you've been blessed with. Now, right here while you're on this earth. It's not something that you have to wait for to get up to heaven to see it, to experience it. He said he's already blessed us with it. Don't you think we ought to be living right now what we've already been blessed with here? Amen. Amen. So he says, I've come that you might, no, excuse me. He says, I, you have been blessed with everything that heaven itself enjoys. Well, you may, you may have some loved ones that are up in heaven. My husband's up in heaven right now. And I think about what's he enjoying. Well, I know this, he's enjoying total peace. How many of you know, not depressed, not harassed, not tormented, no depression, no fear, right? So that's what they're enjoying. That's what we're to be, that's what we're to be enjoying. Uh, How about this? There's no pain up there. That's what, that's what belongs to you here. No pain right here. In the here and the now, because that's what you've been blessed with, what they're enjoying. What about this? Total wisdom. They have access to total wisdom. Well, you have access to total wisdom that you're not living this life just flopping from one thing to the next. You know, you have clear direction on where you're, you're to be, what you're to be doing and how you're to be spending your, this life. What about this? Total provision. Heaven has total provision right now. I said total provision. No one's struggling up there financially. No one's going with needs unmet. That's what belongs to you here. I said that's what belongs to you here and now. And so here, uh, if we're going to flow with everything that heaven has blessed us with, we're going to have to put a demand on some things. This, it belongs to us, but it's, it doesn't flow automatically. You know, there are some laws that flow automatically and some have to flow on purpose. You know, the law of gravity, it flows automatically. You can decide that you can, you know, a kid can get on the top of a barn and decide that they can fly like Batman or Superman and they can jump off there, but the law of gravity will work automatically. You know, they don't have to know, they don't have to exercise their faith for it. It's just going to work, right? Well, there are some things that you have to work on purpose. Some laws, the law of lift that can, you know, with airplanes and stuff, that they have to operate that law of lift on purpose for that to work. Well, this law of prosperity, uh, it has to be worked on purpose. It won't work automatically. You have to put a demand on it. You have to remember and have to put in place and put in your mouth and put in your speaking that you've been blessed with everything that heaven itself is enjoying. You have to put a demand on 
on that flow of abundance that belongs to you. Amen. Now go with me if you would. Let's flip over to, um, let's flip over to second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. You know, when you, were, <clears throat> when you were just born in this earth, I don't care who you are, everyone was born with what the world would call talents, abilities. You may have someone that was born with an ability musically or born with ability with carpentry or uh, electrical things or anything like that. But how many of you know just because you had that talent doesn't mean it's, benef- it's benefiting anything? You may, if someone was born with some kind of musical ability, they might have that every time music comes on, they just start automatically, they start bebopping, you know, or they start singing because it it just stirs what's in them. But if they never develop it, uh, that that ability will lie uh, dormant and it won't be of use. So many Christians never develop the, the, if I could say this, the the divine ability of abundance belongs to you. And you're going to have to develop it. Amen? Amen. So here we want to see some things that will help us in developing this flow of abundance in our life. How many of you know that abundance is more than enough? I said more than enough in every single situation. So it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1. I want us to start with verse 2. The King James says this, it says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, according as his divine power, look at this, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and to virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. He's letting us know that these promises, I like these words, exceeding great, these adjectives that describe what these promises will do for you. Exceeding, notice this, uh, this that belongs to you, it'll cause you to exceed every opposition that comes your way. It'll cause you to excel and exceed every difficulty that shows up. So he says, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. What's the divine nature in you? How many of you know it's that eternal life of God that's in you? And how many of you know he wants you to be a partaker of that every day? How many of you know if you're not living in abundance that you're not partaking of all that belongs to you? That It's not just enough that you have the divine nature. He wants you to be a partaker of the divine nature. Right? We have it, but we want it flowing. Partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And it says in verse 5, and beside this, giving all diligence. Look at this next phrase, add to your faith. Add to your faith. You know, uh, faith is, Dad Hagen taught us, faith is the most important message in the Bible. People say, well, no, salvation is the most important message. Well, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. If you don't understand that you have to receive this by faith, you can't even be born again. 
Faith has a, has a part in it. And so the most important message is, 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 is in the Bible is faith because that's how we move with God. That's how we move forward with God. That's how we lay hold of things. But here it says here that we have to add something to our faith. If I could say it this way, if you have a bridge, uh, that bridge is accessible. You know, during a time of war, uh, what they'll do, the enemy will launch attacks against a bridge. He'll launch attacks against pipelines because that's how things are accessible to the people through those bridges, those pipelines. And if I could say it this way, if every bridge has supports, right? How many of you know faith needs support beams? And if we're going to receive abundance, there's some supports that our faith has to have so that our faith pipeline, so to speak, isn't injured. So that our faith pipeline is supported and we can receive what God has for us through this flow of faith. And so here we know this, that it says over in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, and we won't take time to turn there. It's talking about how when God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt. And it says that the the word was preached unto them, but notice it said the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So how many of you know that because they didn't mix faith with what they heard, they, the word didn't profit them. You can have and te- you can teach on abundance, you can hear on abundance, but if you don't mix faith with that, it's not going to profit you. Amen. You have to mix your faith with these things. So we understand that, but then here it says that faith has to have some things added to it. You can have a chemist, you know, working in his lab and he can have some chemicals present to really create the things that he needs to create to be successful in his field. But he's going to have to, it's not just enough to have him in his lab. He's going to have to skillfully mix certain things, mix certain elements, mix certain components. Well, you have inside of you everything pertaining to life, but you're going to have to learn how to mix some things. Amen. You're going to have to learn how to mix your faith in with this divine life. You're going to have to learn how to mix your faith in with this abundance that belongs to you. And so here's, there's things that have to be added, not only to faith, but look here. It says that faith needs some things added to it. So in verse 5, it said, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. And cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things you shall never fail. That's amazing. So I want us to see the things that Peter gives us a divine checklist of what we're to add to faith. Well, we want, we want to receive the flow of abundance, right? We want to receive all that this life that belongs to us came to give us, but we're going to have to have faith, but we're going to have to have some other things added to it into our faith. So I want us to see and look at this list that Peter gave us because he listed eight things here. I'm going to, ba- I'm going to start at the back of the list though. 
When we look down in verse, uh, when we look down in verse seven, it says, and to brother, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Well, that word charity is love. How many of you know the word charity means love and action? So what they did, they thought they would help you out by letting you know it's love and action. The only thing is charity means human love and action. So it's not, they didn't help us by putting the word charity. But it's really the divine love of God in action. So here he says that we're going to have to add some things to our faith. There are seven things that have to be added to faith. And so what we want to start with is looking at the back of the list and look at this word love. He's talking about love, just general love. He's talking about that you're going to have to walk in love with everybody you see. If you don't walk in love with everybody you see, you're going to get offended by people you see. Uh, just deciding to walk in love with people will keep offense that other people offer you from getting into you. So you're just going to have to walk in love with people just in a general sense. But notice this in the verse, it says brotherly love and then it says charity. So it, 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 if I could say this makes a distinction between the two. Makes a distinction, a distinction between brotherly love and love. How many of you know that first of all, your love begins at home? I said, your love begins at home. And I could say this for those of us in the body of Christ, our love walks will show up first at home in the local church. That's where we're at home in the body of Christ. The love that we have for our brethren should show up. I was telling somebody was, um, saying, you know, because out in California and I I saw that y'all have a little bit of that here too. We saw some of it today. Someone standing on the corner with a sign, you know, and they're homeless or whatever. And they're wanting you to give them something in California. I don't know how it is out there, out here, but out there, they can make a mighty good living standing there because I've sat at at a stoplight and watched people just, you know, going through that stoplight, just plunk a lot of money. And that's fine if you want to do that. But I had a, I had a congregation member telling me they were doing that. And I said, well, that's fine if you want to do it, but you got no business doing it there. If you're not doing it in the church first, your love should show up first and foremost toward the local church because brotherly love is, is distinct and not different, but it's, if I could say this set apart as a different, as, as an additional flow of that flow of love. And here he, he listed brotherly kindness and then he listed love. So he's saying here that if you want your faith to work for abundance, you're going to have to make sure your love walks in place. I remember years ago when I started pastoring, I had been teaching on prosperity in our church and the spirit of God spoke to me about the third or fourth Sunday that I was getting up to preach on prosperity. The spirit of God spoke to me and said, you're going to have to back up. And he said, because until you teach these people to walk in love in their home, they don't qualify for Bible prosperity. Now notice what he said. They don't qualify for Bible prosperity. He didn't say they don't qualify for prosperity. He said they don't qualify for Bible prosperity. How many of you know Bible prosperity is different than any kind of prosperity you can gain for yourself out in the world? Uh, Bible prosperity means that every arena of your life is prospering. Uh, worldly prosperity, if you're going to go out and you're going to work extra hours, you're going to work overtime and you're going to work two or three jobs so you can make ends meet, you're going to have to steal from some arena of your life to make that happen. But Bible prosperity, you don't have to steal from one arena of your life to fund another arena. You won't have to steal from your family life. You don't have to steal from your spiritual life. You won't have to steal from your life in the local church to have Bible prosperity. You understand there's a difference. So God said to me, until these people learn to walk in love in their home, they don't qualify for Bible prosperity. You say, well, I didn't know I had to qualify for prosperity. Well, that word qualify just simply means be in position for. 
Amen. To be in position for it. You know, I have a, most of us have a cell phone here. And at the house that I just moved out of, <clears throat> you could, you know, I had a cell phone. I had a service plan, a carrier for that phone. Uh, but I just got no signal in the house. I would have to go into the office and I'd have to stand up next to the window, you know, put your head up next to the window, you know, like raise one leg and, you know, get, get at a certain position because until you did, uh, you didn't have, you didn't have a signal. Well, just because I didn't have a signal didn't mean I had, didn't have a phone. I still had my phone. I still had my carrier. I still had a service plan. I just wasn't getting a signal. Being not qualifying for Bible prosperity doesn't mean you're not born again. All of the, all these belong to you. They're, they're, they're your present possession, but you've got to be in position for all the things to flow and work right. And so this is what God said. Until you teach these people how to walk in love in their home, they're not in position for Bible prosperity. Amen. Listen, if we're going to flow in abundance, we have to be in position for abundance to reach us. Amen. And love, walking in love with, with everyone on the job, people that are unlovely, you're going to have to walk in love. But notice you're also going to have to walk in love with the brethren. And notice he lifted, listed brotherly love before he listed general love. Love towards everyone. Amen. It needs to matter to you that you're walking in love with one another because if you don't, it's going to show up in your pocketbook. I said it's going to show up in your pocketbook. You know, as a pastor, God sends people to our church for one reason, to be pastored. And I don't do something to compromise that. For example, when we, you know, when we've had building programs, we just, you know, a a year or so, a year and a half ago or so, we completed our Bible school building. Uh, when we were building that, there were people who, you know, so kind, I, I appreciate it, people who had skill in the church that they said, you know, we're going to, we want to help. But I knew that they were at different levels of spiritual development. And I knew if I didn't like their quality of work, you know, and I said, you know, can you come back and fix this? I knew that because of their level of spiritual development, it might hurt them. They might take that as an offense. And I'm not trying to build the church cheap just so... I, I, let me say this. I didn't want to risk offending someone just so I could get a better deal on building the building. Does that make sense? What, what am I saying? As a pastor, God did not send them there to help drywall. Now, they can drywall. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with congregations should help. But I'm talking about when someone is not developed spiritually enough that if they would take, they would take offense if something were corrected or some, you told them to adjust something, uh, if they would take offense with that, it's my job to protect them as a brethren first. I'm not going to get into a business deal with somebody and jeopardize the harmony of the love of that church family. Does that make sense? Don't ever do anything with your finances, with your business. Don't involve somebody if there's risk of it bringing damage to the local church or to the brethren. Does that make sense? I'd rather hire a company uh, and pay a little bit more and not put the fellowship between me and the brethren at risk. Does that make sense? Now, there are others that we had to bring. You know, they did bring their, if I could say this, their ability to that job. But they, were, they had developed enough to where you knew that it wouldn't be an offense if you needed to correct or adjust something. But, but just, what am I saying? Always have in mind how is this going to affect the church. Amen. 
If you go into a business deal with somebody, wait a minute, how is this going to affect the church? Because brotherly love has to be considered here. Amen. So he says here, he said uh, that we make sure that we have added to our faith love. And we have added to our faith brotherly love. Then I want us to look at the next thing going backwards in the list. The next thing is godliness. Well, what's the word godly, godliness means? Well, it means godlikeness. So if you're going to have abundance flowing and your faith is going to work, you're going to have to live like God. I said, you're going to have to live like God. You just can't go anywhere you want and think your faith for abundance is going to work. Many times people are believing, my God shall meet all my needs. And they're going to a place they got no business going to. Your faith isn't going to work because you're not living godly. Amen. God likeness. If you can't take Jesus there, you ought not be there. If you wouldn't invite Jesus to watch it, you ought not be watching it. You understand? That's what he's talking about. This is connected to your faith working. Add to your faith these qualities. You're going to have to make sure that when you're believing God for finances, you're believing God to get out of debt, you're believing God to pay off your house. Number one, you're going to have to make sure you're walking in love with the brethren. You're going to have to make sure you're walking in love with people. You can't get offended with your relatives. You're going to have to keep things straight. But also, you're going to have to live right. You're going to have to live godly, God-likeness. Amen. These are, these are things you have to add to your faith if your faith for prosperity and abundance is going to work. And then the next thing that it says here in this list that you're going to have to add not only godliness, but the next thing going backward in the list says patience. Well, the word says through faith and patience you inherit your promises. Listen, <clears throat> without patience, your faith will quit. I said, your faith will quit. Uh, If you're in faith, you have to add patience so that you'll quit watching the clock. So that you'll quit watching the calendar. How long is this going to take? How long do I have to believe God for this? How long do I have to make confession? If you're going to have abundance, you're going to have to add to your faith patience. Because patience keeps your faith from giving up. Because there are delays sometimes in when something comes to manifest. Why is that? Well, the devil's out hindering things. Amen. And so you're going to have to add to your faith patience. You know, when Ed went home to be with the Lord, I was left responsible for six and a half million dollars. And I needed a million dollars just within a few months. And uh, I had told the congregation, excuse me, the staff, because Ed was the type... Uh, the only organizer he used was his brain in the sense of he didn't write anything down. And uh, the only other person that he told everything to was Brother Mitch. And Brother Mitch, both of them went home to, to be with the Lord together. So all the information left together. And so I told the staff because Ed would tell a remnant of something to one staff member, a remnant to another staff member. So I told the staff, I, I got them all together. I said, I need you to be thinking. What, because I didn't even know all the projects that they had on the board. I says, I need you to give me a list of what you know about any particular project, any information that you have. So the staff got together and they compiled what they knew. Well, several months had gone by and one of the staff members said to me, said, Pastor Nancy, I forgot to tell you. And after they told me, I I thought, well, I do remember Ed saying that. I'd forgotten about that. But said, but you need, um, this was about in February. And they said, July 1st, you need half a million dollars to pay off to meet a note. 
And if you don't, the property will be lost. Now, that wasn't the ministry. That was me personally. And I go, praise the Lord. You know, it's just like throw it in the list. When six and a half million, you know, is on there, just what's another half million, you know? <laughs> so I just, uh, I just said, well, Father, this didn't catch you by surprise. And, you know, just because something catches you by surprise doesn't mean God's caught by surprise. Father, you've already got a plan. You're already working your plan. Now I'll add my faith to your plan. Now that happened in February. Well, now, you know, I would love for that money, that, that money to show up at least by the end of February. <laughs> That'd been good on my flesh. But I just learned, just add your faith and just let your faith keep working. And so there was one avenue that I knew of that could possibly meet that need. So I told God, though, when my husband went home to be with the Lord, I said, I covenant with you that I will not attach my faith to an avenue. I will only attach my faith to you. I will not look to an avenue and say my faith lies there because if that avenue opens or closes or whatever, then if my faith is on that, then my faith varies according to the avenue. But if I put my faith on him, I don't care what avenue closes down. I don't care what avenue opens up because my faith is not on the avenue. I'm not trusting in it. I'm not trusting in a contract. I'm not trusting in an insurance thing. I'm trusting in you. But there was one avenue that I knew of that could be an avenue that he would use for this. So a month before, here it was in June, a month before that money was due, that avenue closed down, completely closed down. They said, that, that's not on the table anymore. And I said to God, I said, okay. I said, you knew if this avenue would close down, but I tell you, Father, I said, my faith is not on an avenue. You've got another avenue. So I trust you for another avenue. Listen, you have to be patient. If you're not patient, you're going to worry. I said, you could get in fear. And this was a very important transaction because this, if this one did not get met, it had a domino effect on, on the other transactions that we had on the table. And so I just said, Father, I just thank you. I thank you that all the money will come for it. Why? I've got to add my patience to that thing. And so uh, at the end of the week, I got a phone call. And uh, the same people who told me that avenue closed down, they told me, well, that avenue opened back up and the money will be here. And within a week, all that money was, had come in. You have to add your faith. You have to not only have faith, you have to add your patience because you're going to see things fluctuate. You're going to see things look like it's the right avenue. And uh, those things will change and you're going to have to add your patience because if you don't know how to be patient, you'll never hold out for abundance. You'll always settle for less than abundance. Amen. So here is uh, this important thing of patience. Now, then in the list, we see this. The next one uh, after patience, uh, this word temperance. The word temperance means self-restraint. If we could say this, this one's dealing with your flesh. I said, this one's dealing with your flesh. In other words, if you're going to have abundance and your faith is going to work, you can't be letting your flesh run you because your flesh will ruin your life if you don't take charge of your flesh. Listen, I've pastored for 25 years. I have seen people's flesh totally ruin their lives. 
So what is he saying if you're going to have abundance and your faith is going to work? You're going to have to have temperance. What's that mean? You're going to have to do something with your flesh. You're going to have to keep your body under. That's what it says basically over there in, in, in Romans chapter 12. So then it goes, you're going to have to do something with your body. Then in this, so you have to add that to your faith if you want your faith to work for abundance. Then the next thing that we see in this list after temperance is this word knowledge. How many of you know he's talking about knowledge of the word? He's talking about a renewed mind. If you're going to have the abundance of God operating, you're going to have to renew your mind. It's not just enough to stand up in church and give. Thank God you ought to give. But it's not enough to just say, you know, think you're going to give and everything's going to work out. You're going to have to keep renewing your mind with the word so that you think right. Now, we've run into this, and, and, you know, everybody has to deal with this. And that is renewing your mind about what abundance looks like. I remember something that God said to me uh, probably about a year and a half ago. I was preaching, and uh, I was talking about how when I go over to other countries and I'm preaching about prosperity, you would think that they would be on the edge of their seat because some of these countries are so poverty-ridden. And they live in desperate conditions, desperate situations. And so I'm preaching on prosperity, and you would think that they would just be eating it up. And they're just sitting back just, I mean, really unengaged, uh, distracted, looking around. And uh, not always, but sometimes that's what you see. And, and, and your heart goes out to them because you go, well, they don't even know what prosperity looks like. You know, they've only seen poverty demonstrated. So you ta- start talking to them about prosperity, and it's like they can't even fathom. They can't even, uh, they don't even reach for it. They just kind of let it bounce off of them. And because they don't see it demonstrated around us. But see, uh, being in America, we've seen uh, what a measure of prosperity looks like, you know? You, you, can, you can just see it flashed on television programs and things, and you can see prosperity at different levels. And so I would go away from those places really uh, disappointed for them because you, you preach and they weren't even grabbing it because they can't even fathom what prosperity looks like. And what, what do you do? You just keep preaching it and you keep preaching it and you keep preaching it until they start getting it. Well, I was, I was thinking about that, and the Spirit of God said to me, he said, you know, how many of you know the Spirit of God lives in the earth now? But he used to live in heaven. The day of Pentecost was the day he changed residencies. He entered in and set up his residency in the church, right? But the Holy Ghost said to me, he said, uh, he says, you know, I've seen heaven. He says, I've seen what heaven looks like. And to me, you look like a third world country. Why? Because he's off, God is offering us abundance based on what heaven calls abundance and not what an America calls abundance. Now, you're not going to realize that till you renew your mind. And that's what he's talking about. You have to gain knowledge. If you, take your, if you just leave your mind regarding finances where it was when you got saved, you're never going to have any more than you had when you got saved. But you have to keep renewing your mind that God wants you prosperous and that God has, the word calls you rich. Jesus was made poor that we might be made rich. When were we made rich? At the new birth is when you received it. But he, you were made rich at the cross just the same place salvation was provided. Rich was provided. And there are a lot of people who just can't fathom the idea of having more. Well, how do you, how do you change that? You have to renew your mind. You have to gain knowledge of the word. Amen. So here he says knowledge. So not only do, is, is this telling you for your faith to work, you're going to have to do something with your body. You have to do something with your mind. You have to bring your mind in agreement with what the word says belongs to you.
And quit being okay with having less than what the word says belong to you. Amen. You know why people live at the levels they live at? Because they're okay living there. You have to decide, I'm not okay living there. I want more than what I've been living in. Amen. I'm not okay with kids that talk back to me anymore. I'm not okay with a marriage that doesn't work anymore. I'm not okay with having strife and division in my home. I'm not okay with not even being able to pay my bills. Because if you ever decide, I'm done living that way. God's offered me more. God will back you up. But if you're okay with living there with cars broken down, you know that you have to have the worst car on the lot. You know, I love something that a staff member said because, you know, they, they, had, they hadn't, when they were raised, they, didn't, they weren't raised with a lot of stuff. And they said, Pastor Nancy said, when we had the used car mentality, meaning the first car we went for was a used car. There are times and seasons in people's lives when, you know, as they're growing and developing, they, they, they do that. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But she said, you know, whenever we had to go get a used car, she said, we could have this used car. We could have that used car. And she said, those, those used cars didn't have any frills on them. People had driven all the frills off. You know, there's no new car smell left in those, you know. And she said, and your options were so limited. But she said, but now when we got to go and get us a new car, she said, we got to see new cars. We had more options. Prosperity gives you options that poverty will never give you. Lack will never give you options. Prosperity gives you options. Amen. And the Spirit of God said to me, he said, to me, you look like a third world country because you're okay with living at what you've had instead of living with what heaven is trying to show you. A renewed mind will bring you up out of the place where you've been living and not be okay with it anymore. Amen. And it's okay for you to want more, even if your family doesn't want more, even if relatives don't want more. It's okay for you to want more. Amen. And then after that, we see this word knowledge. This is the word I'm wanting to arrive at here is this next word, virtue. That's the second word in our list. So notice here in verse, in verse 5 of Second Peter chapter 1, it says, Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. This word virtue means moral excellence. Notice what the word says bumps right up next to your faith is moral excellence. Notice what is one of the big things that are being battled in the world today is lack of morality. I mean the morality, the vulgarity of speech, the vulgarity in music, the vulgarity on the television, the vulgarity in the, in the movie theaters. I mean, just vulgar stuff. It's gotten so vulgar. Why? And they mock you. They mock you if, if there's anything of morality. And that's what Pastor was talking about, that Christianity has been pushed down and, and attacked. And, and, and they mock you for being... They, they, they actually will call you weak, you know, if you have any kind of, if you have any kind of moral life or uh, any, anything, anything of conscience. And they mock morality, but you mock morality in this life and you're going to suffer. You mock morality, it's going to show up in your family. It's going to show up in your children, the lack of morality. You mock morality and you're going to suffer in this life and you'll suffer in the next life. Because if there's one thing God is, he's a moral God. I said, he is a moral God. And if our faith is going to work, notice what, what word is bumped right up next to this word faith, virtue, morality. 
moral excellence. So if our faith is going to work and we're going to have abundance, we're going to have to make sure that we have moral excellence. Uh, Moral excellence, look at this word excellence, means it excels. So you're going to have to have a morality that excels the standard of, of others around you. If all you do is equal someone else, then your life will never be any different than what theirs is. Your morality has to be higher than someone else's. Amen. If your morals are about equal to everyone else's, that's what your life is going to look like, everyone else's. But if your morality equals, but if you can't add only common morality to God's promises and have abundance, common morality won't do it. You're going to have to, God, have, to have God's standard of morality. Amen. Then when we say this word moral excellence, this word virtue, moral excellence, also tied into that is this thing of this word called integrity. Go with me if you would. Let's go over to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. You know, when my husband went home to be with the Lord, one of the things that was so prominent and outstanding with me that God was emphasizing for me was the leading of the Spirit. Because we had eight projects left unfinished when he went home to be with the Lord. We were right in the midst of them. And every single one of them, the Spirit of God would lead me exactly what to do. Even though I had never been part of that business transaction, I knew exactly how to handle it. I had, with handling banks, insurance companies, lawyers, all of that, the Spirit of God would lead me every single time. But the way he led me many times was not just, I didn't hear a voice, I didn't hear, hear him say, do this, do that. There was just a sense of what seemed right in my spirit. I need to do this. And it just seemed right. If something seemed right in my spirit, that was the spirit of God leading me. But there have been times when I needed to make a decision. And I wasn't sure. If I could say this, I'd put up my spiritual antenna. And I didn't sense a leading this way or didn't sense a leading that way. I just didn't sense any particular leading. Have you ever been there? Uh, well, what, what, do you, what do you do when you don't sense any particular leading one way or another? I like what I see here in Proverbs chapter 11. And it says in verse 3, The integrity of the upright shall guide them. How many of you know that if you don't sense, if you don't sense any particular leading, do what integrity would do? That's exactly what it's telling you. Why? Because integrity will lead you to in, into abundance. A t- integrity will lead you into prosperity. Integrity will lead you into doing what's right in that situation. How many of you know he's saying not only have your faith, but you're going to have to add this moral excellence, this virtue, this integrity to your faith. If you're not going to handle things uprightly, you're not going to prosper. You understand that? You can give in the offering. You can give your tithes and offerings, but if you're going to cheat on your employees or you're going to cheat with your, uh, you know, in, in other ways, if you're not going to be upright in some things, you're not going to walk in integrity, no amount of confessing the word is going to make up for the lack of integrity. Amen. All these things must be in place. Listen, we've got a revival to fund. We need our faith working. 
And God is saying all these things have to be added to our faith. All these things must be operational in our lives. They have to have their place so that abundance can have its flow in our lives. Amen. So he says here that integrity is to guide you. So how many of you know uh, that if you're going to, if you're going to have a, a flow of more than enough, you're going to have to have integrity in place. Amen. Amen. Integrity releases the blessings of God on your life, but a lack of integrity will hinder the flow of God's blessings on your life. God's best is available to all of his people, but not all of his people will experience it because they won't walk in moral excellence. They won't walk in, they won't walk in, in virtue. You know, uh, somebody asked Dad Hagen years ago, uh, they were pastoring and they said, Dad Hagen, they said, <clears throat> I'm seeing situations and conditions in my church that I've not seen when I was a young kid. I didn't see that in our churches growing up. And what Brother Hagen brought up, brought out, and he says, you know, when he was a young man, he said, you didn't see all the aggressive terminal illnesses in the churches. He said, you know, randomly here or there, but he said, it's, it, it's some of this stuff, some of the congregation members are just suffering so much with different illnesses and things and aggressive stuff. And, and this pastor said to Dad Hagen, why is that? And Dad Hagen said this. He said, because people aren't living moral. He said, morality will protect you. Yeah. It'll protect your health. Yeah. I said, it'll protect your health. Can I tell you something? Anybody ever missed God? <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you, sister. I remember, you know what you call moral and what God calls moral could be a little varied. I remember Ed and I hadn't been married too terribly long. And I got up one morning and right on the white of my eye was a bump. I had never seen it before. It wasn't red. It was just a bump I had never seen. It wasn't hurting. It didn't cause me any pain, anything like that. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I saw it because I was putting on my makeup. And Ed came in and I said, look at that. Look at the white of my eye. Look at that bump on there. And he looked at it and he said, and I said, I don't know what that is. And he said, God just spoke to me and said, it's an ulcer on your eye. Well, I've never heard of that. And he said, so he just spoke to it. And that thing just disappeared right there, just like that. Now that, that, that listen, it pays to be married to the right guy. That thing just disappeared. So uh, probably just in the next 10 minutes, my husband and I started discussing after that happened. We started discussing a certain uh, person. uh, And he had told me he had offered a job to a certain person. Well, at that point in my life, I did not have a lot of confidence in that person. And so I was a little taken aback that he had offered a job to this person. I take that back. He was considering offering a job to him. And I said, I don't know if I'd do that if I were you because of this, 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 and this. So it goes, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm considering. I'm, I'm, I'm considering offering him a job. Well, I was the type that I didn't get going to head-to-head thing. I would go off by myself. So I got in the car, go driving around. When I get worked up, go, dri- go for a drive. Or it's either go, go for a drive or clean the house. That's, the, that's my two outlets, either go for a drive. So I didn't want to clean the house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so 
So I got in the car and I was driving around and I was having it out with God. I said, now God, you know that if he hires it and I'm giving God the what for, you can't let him hire this. Please stop him. And I'm going after it. (laughs) And, uh, you know what you forget is when you gripe about someone who's saved to God, he's also, they're also his child. And it doesn't play out well to gripe about another Christian to God because you're griping about his child to him. Anyway, so (laughs) I was telling God. And uh, (laughs) so I come back home. And you know, I have given God the what for, given Ed the what for through God, (laughs) supposedly. And I go back up to my bathroom. I'm doing something in the bathroom. I look up and that ulcer is right back on that eye. And I said, okay, I got it. I got it. I straighten up right now. I take all that back. I repent. I'm going to change my way of thinking. I'm going to change. Nope, God, forgive me, forgive me. And when I did, I said, I, for, I repent, forgive me. I, I repent. And I look back at my eye and it was gone. What well, God was showing me what I do regarding how I treat somebody else is going to show up in my body. Amen. That's what he's talking about. Your moral excellence will show up in your body or your lack of it will show up in your body. If you're trying to believe God for some things financially, you have to make sure that all these supports are in place. Have you ever seen a bridge? Now, see, in Oklahoma, I'm from Oklahoma, and we have some older bridges that are abandoned where people, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're blocked off. You can't even get on them anymore. But the reason is you look and the supports are, the supports are failing. The support, some of them have fallen and the bridge is sagging. Uh, you tr- if you tried to go across that thing, you'd get injured. There are a lot of people who don't have supports in place and they're trying to go across that difficulty and they're going, how come I'm getting, how come things aren't working? How come I'm not arriving at abundance? Because uh, the things aren't in place to support what you need. Amen. For your faith to work. And so here you have to have this important thing, a moral excellence, a virtue in place. Amen. Now go with me if you would. I want you to see this over. Let's go to the book of Job. Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. Thank God for faith and thank God that faith is important. But how many of you know if faith could do it all, why would we have to add to our faith? Let me tell you something. Faith will not take the place of the lack of moral excellence. Faith won't take the place of the lack of patience. Faith won't take the place of the lack of godliness. Faith faith has its place, but it's no substitute for these other things. And that's why many people are struggling financially, and they're they're not experiencing the best that God has for them because it's not only faith. Faith has to have things added to it. You know, if I could say this, faith is the main ingredient. But you know, if you've got, if you're making a cake... Uh, they have now uh, these gluten-free, you know, desserts. Take the word dessert off when you see the word gluten-free. Take the word, to to try to put the word gluten-free and dessert in the same sentence is a lie. It's not a dessert. It is no longer a dessert. 
It is a poor substitute. (laughs) So people come up and have, you know, offer a gluten-free cake. Really? No, because the main ingredient in a cake, I'm talking about a real cake, not a substitute cake, not a fake cake, is flour. You can't make, you can't make a cake without the main ingredient of flour, right? But just flour alone, it won't taste good. You've got to add some things to it. Faith is the flour to the recipe of success. Amen. You're going to have to add some eggs. You're going to have to add some oil. You're going to have to add some kind of liquid, some milk. You're going to have to add some chocolate chips or something. You know, add something good. Faith is the main thing, but all integrity and moral excellence and amen and patience and all these things have to be added for the thing to bake upright and taste good. Amen. Uh, so I want you to see here in chapter two. Now, look at this. We know Job, bless his heart. He went through some real opposition. And it says, you know, Job was, was frightened because uh, he saw that his sons and daughters weren't living right. And so uh, to make up and to, if I could say this, uh, to kind of cover for how they were living, he was offering up sacrifices to God on their behalf. And it was fear that was motivating him to do that. And so in verse, in Job chapter one, rather, let's go to verse 14. And it says, there came a messenger unto Job and said, the oxen were out plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yes, they've slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God is fallen from heaven, has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, here comes the third messenger and said, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans have made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yes. And slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And the fourth thing happens. And while he's yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young men and they're all dead. And I alone am escaped. So notice this. So in one, in one day, Job's lost everything, his wealth, his family, he's lost everything. But look, I want you to go down and I want you to see, uh, down in Job chapter, let's look at Job chapter two and, uh, let's look at, um, then let's, let's look down at verse eight. We see that not only now has he lost everything of his outward stuff, but now the devil has attacked his physical body and he's got boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And in verse eight, he took, Job took a pot shirt and he scraped himself with all and he sat down among the ashes. So he's sitting there, uh, in this physical condition. And then look at verse nine, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Notice this, what was still in place when everything was attacked is his integrity. When everything had been lost, his integrity was still within his control. I said his integrity was still within his, within his control. And she said, curse God and die. What a wife. And he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Notice this is that, uh, 
He's in the privacy of his own home. Notice what integrity won't do. It won't even compromise itself at home. Amen. Your integrity is not just something you hold to in public. Your integrity is what do you talk about around the dinner table? Your integrity is what do you talk about in front of your kids? And what do your kids... Because your abundance is connected to these things. Your faith is connected to these... All that your faith can receive for you is connected to your integrity. How many of you know you need your faith in place to receive your healing? You need your faith in place to receive your abundance. You need your faith in place and all these things are connected to your faith. What you allow to go on around in your home will determine whether or not your bills receive their supply. We had uh, years ago, there was a young man who was on staff and he was a nice young man to deal with. I enjoyed working with him. He was easy to deal with. He was easy to lead. He was, he was uh, always faithful to us in the sense of he was good on the job, faithful to his job and stuff. And I drove up in the parking lot in front of the church one day. And when, as soon as I drove into my parking space, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, When you get in there, I want you to let such and such go and call this young man's name. And I was stunned. I said, What do you mean let him go? I said, Father, he's been a blessing. We need him. He's been a blessing to me. He's been a help to us. He's, he's done his job well. I don't understand. And, he, and God said this. He said, his wife sits at home and talks bad about the congregation, and he won't tell his wife to shut up. He won't tell her to stop. How many of you know, if you're going to have integrity, you're going to have to demand certain things around your life. You know what you know what Joshua said as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. He spoke for his house. You understand that? He forbids certain things in his house. He put certain things in place. And this man was supposed to be the head of his family, but he was letting his wife say things at home. Job wouldn't let his wife say things at home in his presence. He called her a foolish woman. Now how would that go in your marriage, you know? So if you want, if you're going to have your integrity in place and your moral excellence in place, not only do you walk moral, but you demand that people that deal with you, they deal with you. Those that are under your authority, you won't let them go into immorality in the sense of you're not talking that way about this or you're not talking that way about that. So I had to go in and I let this young man go because of what God said. And within just just a few months, of course, they left the church and they were divorced. Why is that? Because he would not demand integrity in his home. Even though he had it, he wouldn't demand it of those that were under his authority. Now, listen, when I was growing up, my dad was a farmer. He was a cotton and wheat farmer. And uh, he worked long, hard hours. From 8 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night, he worked at a parts supply store there in town. And then as soon as he would get off work, he would go and he would work till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning farming. So he did that for over 20 years until he got all of his farms paid off. And so he got his farms paid off when he was in his early 40s. And so him and my mom lived really debt-free for the rest of their lives. But uh, I remember growing up, because Dad worked, kept those hours, I would, I, there, I would go for weeks and never even see him. Because he was up and out of the house before, you know, I was up and out. And he was always back in, you know, he came back home long after we were in bed. And I remember I would have some kind of function at school and daddy didn't come or 
And I would say, well, how come daddy doesn't come? Daddy doesn't do this and daddy doesn't do that. And he wasn't home. Listen, he would go farm on holidays. He would go farm on our birthdays. He was out farming. And I remember we would, I, we would say something to mother. And the minute we would say something to mother, she said, you better shut your mouth or I'm shutting it for you. She said, your daddy is out working hard to make sure you have food on the table, you have clothes on your back, and you're not going to sit in this house that he has paid for for you to be in and talk bad about your daddy. Listen, we learned her to keep our mouths shut or she would shut them for us. What was she doing? That was her integrity guiding her and her integrity guiding everyone in the home. If you want to prosper, you have to not only make sure that you're keeping yourself right, but those that are under your authority are 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 addressed whenever they get out of line with integrity. Amen. Listen, it matters so that you can have your, your supply. I tell our, I tell our congregation all the time, uh, husbands and wives, if you're going to get into a fight, just find this out. Do you check, make sure you got enough money to fund that fight because you get into a fight and the supply of God is cut off into your life. You start getting letting strife in. The flow of supply into your home is going to stop. Amen. You have to make sure you got enough money to fund that thing. Hallelujah. God is letting us know that it's not enough to have faith. You're going to have to have these other things in place as supports to your faith so that your faith can stand strong. Listen, you're able to stand strong and go boldly and say, Father, I believe you to take care of every one of my needs when you know that you haven't been bad-mouthing somebody at the dinner table. You can be bold with your faith when you know that you're doing the other things right. When you know you're not participating in things and going to locations you shouldn't go. You're you're bold with your faith. But if you know that these other things aren't in place in your life, you're not as bold with your faith and you're not going to be able to receive what God has for you because your faith needs supports. It needs these other things so that it can operate strongly and boldly. Amen? Well, are you helped tonight? Listen, God has abundance for us so that you can fund your pastor's vision, so that you can fund what God has for this era, for this church to fulfill in this era. We need the flow of abundance. And if we just think, well, all I'll do is just believe God. Yes, it's good and it's right to believe God. But these other things, Peter gave us a checklist to make sure they're in place so that our faith will work right and so that we can receive the flow of abundance. Amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me to your feet. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you that it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And Father, we're so grateful that abundance belongs to us. We're so grateful, Father, to be a part of not only what this church is doing, but what belongs to this era. And Father, we want to be funders of it. Father, we know this, that you have blessed us with everything that heaven itself enjoys. And in the blessing of it, Father, we want to make sure that we can receive fully all that you have for us. We thank you for your word that shows us the things that must be in place so that your word can flow unhindered in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for all the things that belong to us. And we reach, Father, for the fullness we reach for the abundance in, in, our, in our finances, in our home, in our health, abundance of health. In our minds, the abundance of peace. In our homes and in our lives, the abundance of joy. We thank you for it, Father. It belongs to us. We give you thanks, Father.
At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.